one leaf left on a branch, and not a sound of sadness or despair. One leaf left on a branch and no unhappiness. One leaf left all by itself in the air and it does not speak of loneliness or death. One leaf and it spends itself in swaying mildly in the breeze. I should be content to look at a mountain for what it is and not as a comment on my life. David Ignata. Hello, hello, um, and welcome back to another podcast from Kirsty Mack and Jim McNeish. It's great to be here. Super good to be here. And today we talk perception. We are indeed. Um, so what about perception, Kirsty? Mm, what have you been perceiving over the last uh, <laughs> six or seven weeks that feels of note? six or seven weeks we're in dog years isn't it it's longer than that um it's shifted it has shifted and taken new form i think from the start you know we talked about cancellations and fear which led to space which led to creativity which led to aliveness which led to it's amazing to see the delineation of the emotions that have gone through and experienced and sat in that something before that was so fearful and so different and that it was you know it felt like that was the end of life as I knew it that's a huge yes. system to say but and now it's this is life as I know it and actually I'm feeling differently about it and I think even just it's many different sort of sliding doors of perception you know I, so this is I don't like the phrase, you know, this is how it is now. We both work here. Uh, we're both in our offices. This is how it is. And so actually we're very, we're very lucky in that we've not been massively hit through health or anything. And we're not out being key workers. And so we're very blessed. And because of that, we are actually in a bit of a bubble. And then I walk outside and people walk across the street and we move away from people and I realize there's a little bit of an adjustment period in my perception, I think, that happens when I go outside and I notice there's a, there's a wee bit of oxytocin that feels like it's left my body when someone crosses the street. It's like, <laughs> just, that sort of, oh, okay, that's how we do things. That's how we do things now. And so I do, I feel, it, it's weird. I've noticed myself, I feel a bit of an ache when that happens and I feel terrible when I'm doing it to other people. And weirdly, the ache of disconnecting is connecting us. And so, yeah, I feel, so there's, I, I see like a real perception shift, even as I go through my day, if we go out for a walk and if we've been in here. And, and so I feel a real shift in what was, it seems a while ago, so fearful to now, and you know, it's, it, there's possibility and excitement and opportunity on a daily basis, on a minutely basis. And yeah. that's a massive shift. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. a huge shift. I see that. As it's similarly with me, I think it's all been about the shift in perception during this time. Um, and I really hear what you're saying about that. It's just like, in the beginning, I wanted to take a position on everything. Mm. So when, when the, the work came in, I was like, oh, thank goodness, that's going to see me through the lockdown. And then as it started to expand, I thought, oh, wow, um, 
this is amazing. This is going to, you know, help us for the next six months or so. And then, and then it started to grow and grow and, and suddenly I realized, um, the perception now is I don't have to keep trying to take a position. I don't have to make it make safe by forming some kind of belief about it. Um, I am perceiving a world which is uh, just growing and changing. And then there used to be also that split world that you're talking about of this little small world that I'm here with my assistant Mark and we're getting on and enjoying all this. And the external world's doing something different. It's doing its own thing. And that divide really strongly. And part of it was because, you know, I, I only used to want to see the news for just 10 minutes. Otherwise, I was going to get caught up in it. But now, you know, you see good news coming. You see that there is a plateauing. You see that there's hospital beds in Glasgow emptying. You see that, um, you know, potentially we're going in the right direction. Governments are getting quite courageous. They want to experiment with different social measures and trying things out. And so I find myself now wanting to re-engage back with that world again and my perception's getting bigger. It's moving from this very small insular world into a more integrated, bigger world again. And um, I'm less afraid that it will destroy my peace or my sleep again to engage with it. I feel like I can, I can be with reality again. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that feels, it, it feels like a huge shift. You know, they say that healing occurs whenever fear is taken out of any situation. And I think that's what's been happening. Um, I've been perceiving fear, not just leaving my brain, but leaving my body mm. and starting to get ready to engage in this actual world again. Yeah, so it's um, a lens, isn't it? Like yours, I remember we were talking about in one of the other podcasts or one of our conversations about that lens of either fear or love. Uh -huh. And even just dualistically thinking about that, there's such a shift. You can feel, mm -hmm. and I do have felt that fear leave the body. Right. Um, and and that love and acceptance and appreciation of all the things that are happening. That's amazing. But tell me about perception. Kirsty, you've owned your own NLP company. You've studied consciousness. What do we actually mean by perception when we're talking about it? I suppose technically it's about we are inundated by information. Just <laughs> And now is a time where we're definitely inundated by information. But we're... It, perception is detecting, selecting, interpreting, organizing all of this sensory information that comes towards us, you know, whether it's, sight, whether it's sounds, whether it's feelings, whether it's um, things that we're seeing. So it's, it's the process by which we notice and think about our experiences. Um, and it, it is our, and it creates our knowledge of the world. And for each of us, that's different because we are bombarded by information. You know, we're said to, and whatever book that you read, but we looked at, you know, it's 2 million bits of information per second. We take it down to 134 bits of information. But that 134 bits of information is, is stuck to our already story that we have of the world. And you talked about NLP and, you know, we've got the founded inspirations, the founding people that Bandler and Grinder modeled. You've got Milton Erickson, Fritz Perls. Father Christmas and um, Virginia Satir, <laughs> you know, and they, they noticed and when they were unpacking all of the stuff they were looking at, they noticed that we delete, distort and generalize all incoming information. You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're left with this, every single one of us. And this is, you know, as an aside, I always wonder how we manage to communicate with one another because yes. we're just left with this 
very unique and altered way of understanding our world. You know, it's, and we look for things that already, that, that sort of bolster our thought processes, that we become this whole agent for our, our beliefs. So, you know, we, it becomes something that we become committed about, that we become, that we are, that we feel right about. So we will kind of, it's like this little antenna goes out and it's like, beep, 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 and it goes scanning for, oh, that fits my story. I can take that. Yes. Oh, oh, that fits my story. You know, and so we're looking for all this evidence to back up the scripts that we've got in our head. So that and we live cyclically, so that we're constantly kind of bolster, cycling, bolster, cycling, cycling bolster. around the same story. Absolutely. And it's, yeah. you, know, you know, I'm always, people always say, Kirsty, you seem to attract drama. Um, or <laughs> there's some strange characters, you know, they are just, and I, my rise is activated towards crazy people. But just, you know, I'll always find the wee woman in Glasgow, no matter where <laughs> I am in the world with a big beige coat, you know, and it's about, we will scan for those things in our outside world because we can't take in all in, in all the information because there yes. is so much it's and like so, when you get a new car isn't it oh just you get yes. a brand new car or you start looking for a car and then you suddenly realize it's the most common car on oh, the motorway and, and and the salesman said get it in african mojito and yellow and you go oh nobody's <laughs> got that <laughs> nobody's got that and as you leave <laughs> And you draw up to the traffic lights. There's like three in a row. You're like, damn it. Um, Driving with wee women in beige coats. With wee women. <laughs> That's the truth. Every time. Um, so I, and then also, so I engage them. I, I scan, I find, uh -huh. I talk. Then I talk about, I engage other people with it. I reinforce it. So it becomes, as you say, that cyclical nature. And I make it more true. Yes. So I, I, I become a force for the world that I think is true. And even just, I was, we were on a bike ride the other day um, uh, and we we're cycling and Billy's been, he's, well, he's never had a puncture. And so he got a puncture on Friday. But what was interesting was if I backtrack a day before, we'd heard a story that people had been throwing tacks out on the cycle path, God love Glasgow, on the cycle <laughs> path to stop cyclists going past because there's just been such a massive increase in people cycling in Glasgow, right? right. So people have been thrown out tax. Now, if we hadn't heard that story, we wouldn't have been so like, as soon as it happened, we were like, oh, the beep, beep, how could people <laughs> be so destructive, so destroying? I mean, that's just, I mean, that's, can you imagine if I was a child? And it was just that we got this whole story. But actually, as you looked around, there was only one big rusty nail there. <laughs> so if we hadn't heard that story it was like oh James Cribbins we've got a there you are you know Aye. but one way or another whether you remember that or not you've strengthened something in your belief system about Glasgow people yeah. or or that part of Glasgow that part of Glasgow yeah so suddenly and so you might remember that it was funny that you saw that until but that got strengthened, that generalization, that those people from that part of Glasgow are a bit like that. And you don't remember why you think that, but somewhere in the muscle, there's more evidence. It just gets stitched in, doesn't it? It gets stitched in into our fabric, into our DNA. You know, and the person that told us, it might not even have been true. Because I don't know where they got it from, but all of a sudden it's stitched into the fabric of my story. And, and that's the, that's perception. That's, how it differs and that's how it creates such tension i mean you teach this you know where where is your thinking going to in this because 
Yeah, it's quantum this physics, is... isn't it? It's oh, Werner Heisenberg. Yes. It's uncertainty principle. Measurement always plays an ineradicable part in any phenomena observed. Yeah, uh, sorry. Yeah, yes. I'll write that ineradicable. down. Ineradicable. That's quite hard to say. I know. Um, even way back in the 1920s, they were trying to measure the momentum and the location of some subatomic particle and realised that when they're measuring its momentum, it shows up like a wave. When they measure its location, it's showing up like a particle. They realised that the measurement, how they engaged with it, affected what it became. Um, the whole idea of uh, Alan Watts' comment that says, perception without love is a sin. I love that. It's beautiful. It's that idea of... When you look at something, it affects it. Um, and one of the ways I'm really interested is getting more specific about that, and it's the notion of dualism. Mm. This is the same principle at work. Basically, dualism is a, is a, a method of deletion, distortion, generalization. It's um, carving the world up into these either-ors. And our English language um, pushes us into this because it's based on Latin and Greek philosophy, where you had psyche and soma, body and mind. You had the beginning of that dualistic philosophy. That was the science of the day. And, um, and our, world, our words do that. Our, our Western Latin-based words do it. Um, we sever the world in order to understand it into right and wrong, safe and unsafe, rich and poor, or today, clear and unclear. <laughs> Uh, Scottish announcement versus English announcement about whether you should stay indoors or not. And, um, and people are just severing that up. And we do that. We look outside and Fritz Perls says that we sever the world up according to our needs rather than according to what we actually see. So you walk into a room and you sever it up into who do I know and who do I not know. Or you walk into another room and somebody else has got a different personality that walks in and says, who's important and who's unimportant here. Mm. Uh, somebody else walks into a room and says, you know, who's here that I'm attracted to and who isn't? You know, we sever these worlds up and it tells us about us. Yeah. And I think this was probably the biggest breakthrough I made as a coach in terms of understanding perception was understanding dualism because I learned an incredibly important question, which is what is the opposite of that? So when you hear somebody going off into something that's obviously a strong value for them, you know, and they're rattling on and rattling on, to stop them a minute and say, excuse me, but what's the opposite of that for you? You get this searing insight into the way that their brain severs up the world, the mm -hmm. way that they construct things. This is called personal construct theory. This is um, George Kelly's work. And I'm reminded of a guy I was coaching up at Cantal once, and we were sat in the library and he was talking about wanting to try and get this thing perfect, get it perfect, get it perfected. And so I joined in on that with him as a coach. That's what he wants, see if I can help him. Mm -hmm. And the minute I started to help him with it, I felt his resistance. I felt like something's up here, I've mismatched him. And, uh, and then he mentioned perfect again. And so I went after it again with him, again, mismatch. And so I eventually started up training um, what's the opposite of perfect for you? And he exhaled in the most delicious way. He's like, <sighs> freedom. Mm. freedom. Like he was, he would command himself to go for perfection, but actually what he wanted was freedom from that drive. 
And then all of a sudden I got an insight into, yes, he still wants freedom, uh, perfection, but it's a part of him that he doesn't want to run the show. There's another part that wants freedom. And so learning these dualisms, these default dualisms in our life, is incredibly important, you know, because a dualism is never the thing. It's never the truth. Um, you can divide the world up into men and women, but you will miss a lot of different other people in between. You can divide the world up into night and day if you're stood on the earth. Go stand somewhere else on the solar system. There won't be a night or a day. It's a phenomena that exists here. It's not an absolute truth. And truth and lies itself depends on what side of the war you're fighting on or what side of the parliament you're sitting on. And, and so the more that we try and squeeze life into these either-ors, the more subject it becomes to our filtered perception. And I think this is why they say the truth believed becomes a lie. Because the minute we believe something, we engage our language pattern and we make it an either-or we reduce it to some generalization. But it says the truth believed becomes a lie, the truth experienced remains the truth. And it's like, how can we ensure that our language is propelling us into experiences, into living life, because we get much more truth at that point. And that's, well, that's second tier thinking, isn't it? It is. You know, if we're gonna move beyond dualism, that in itself is second tier thinking. You know, it really is. I think that's, and we're going to look at that. We're going to look at that. But that idea of second year thinking brings us straight to paradox. Mm -hmm. Instead of either or, can we do and? Yeah. Can we do and? Can we do wave and particle? Can we do mind and body? I mean, you and I are both lovers of mind and body. Yeah. Thinking with our body, feeling with our brain you know, actually starting to engage different parts of us and all of us in this world. And, and second-tier thinking means that we move away from all these simple either-ors. Um, the opposite of a surface truth is often referred to as a lie, but the opposite of a deep truth is another truth. You know, uh, grace and justice, I think, you know, these things. And, and then even within ourselves, you know, look at yourself, Kirsty. There's part of you that wants to be private and there's mm -hmm. part of you wants to be known. Yep part of you wants to belong and then if you belong too much you want a trip to Australia and you want your freedom <laughs> you know it's like you do that and it's could we think more in that way will isolation actually bring this you know yeah. loving this family time but wanting to travel yeah. enjoying the convenience of home working but wanting the freedom of going where we want to go could we start to accept that there is futility in trying to reduce this to a simplistic position and that this is some of what actually causes our difficulties in communicating with each other. That just opens so many things up. And how might that, you know, how might that affect us online? You know, imagine if people writing on social media, it's a beautiful place, you know, if, what if they were more <laughs> interested in the next level of consciousness? What if they were interested in embracing and and is, yes. you know, is one of my most favorite. The ampersand is such a beautiful, weighty, expansive core element of who we could be that yes. just allows us to open up to new thinking. You know, it's just about if we can't settle on an easy answer, if we can't solve a puzzle, this is about us thinking higher, 
better outside yes. the frame. I, you know, like I'm getting higher and higher in my seat. I'm like I'm waving <laughs> my hands about you, but I just I can feel it viscerally, just that opportunity and possibility. And it makes us less susceptible to those deletions and distortions, you know, and and because we will defend them. Yes. We'll sit and we'll defend them. But what this allows is that we can't take a position. Aye. Aye. Because I, I want privacy and I want to be known. Absolutely. I want to belong and I want freedom. It's like, and, and that's the human race. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's that world. And, and for leaders in this next phase, surely we need to have leaders who can, if they're going to lead us into something new, they need to embrace the paradox. Yeah. You know, um, Niels Bohr, the father really of quantum physics, yeah. the guy that certainly pulled a lot together, he said, how wonderful we've met with a paradox. Now we have some hope of making progress. You know, we had this wave and, and particle kind of paradox thing going on. He's like, we need to think differently if we're actually going to get a hold of this. And leaders are going to have to think in paradox. They're going to have to think about people staying home and getting out. You know, I don't want to get political and I'm certainly not going to be voting for Boris. It's never been my kind of cup of tea. But I wonder if there's something about that we're all getting after him for yesterday's conversation about mm-hmm. his announcement about do we stay at home, do we go out, if you must, yeah. you need to. <laughs> I wonder if, if though, when you listen to it, what he was trying to do is hold a paradox up that says, I want to absolutely release this country into building its finance back up again so that more people don't die. And at the same time, I want people to stay at home where they possibly can so that more people don't die. I want the absolute best solution here, but I'm asking people to hold this paradox. And maybe I'm being generous, but I wonder if that's actually what was going on there is that there was just a complex attempt at saying, hey, here's a, here's a paradox. Now, why don't we all try and work that out with a sense of kind of reasonableness? I mean, you know, and it is about that financial system. So how do we bolster the financial system and protect the environment? Yeah. yeah. How do we get things back to normal? How do we, you know, open up the schools, the nurseries, the hospitals, toilet paper, <laughs> crime prevention, you know, and allow a new world to emerge? That's terrific. Yeah. We need hugs and gathering and human contact. And we need to protect our health service and the vulnerable people in society. We do need Mm. to wave to them through windows. And and yet we should still seek whatever opportunities we can that feel safe in the future to reconnect to each other physically. Yeah. And we, you know, how we need to run out of this... (laughs) tunnel of disease you know hundreds of thousands of people have died and affected and also retain what has been life-giving about it yeah that's so hard a paradox to hold do you get do you feel yourself feeling guilty for when you're happy sometimes 100 percent. and yet we should we should we should this has been six months, six weeks of our life, seven weeks of our life. We should be finding joy moments in it as well. Um, basically, where we've dualized this world into either ors, we need to find folks and leaders who can start to form a conversation, a relationship, a consciousness, something that can contain and process it all, something that can hold these paradoxes and bring everybody's conversation in and train us 
to not look for the or or the finger point, but actually allow us to hold all of those things together. And I think that's that's where we need the leadership. You know, we, that's where we've got this wonderful adversarial parliament system. Everyone seems to be quite invested in being right right now. Um, yes. And you know, we have we have laws, we have media, we have medical practices, religions that are really bolstered by a split world. And yeah. it would take it would take a lot of strength a lot of strength and a lot of leadership to join up these concepts in people's minds again. Yeah. It's wow. possible. It's possible. Because a part of the difficulty is that when we first form a distinction, like when we first see a difference between men and women, like when we hit puberty and suddenly there's this very clear difference between men and women, it's delicious and it's wonderful. You know, there's something which is, amazing about seeing the differences between black and white people and enjoying it and it's deliciousness there as well muslim and christian you know there are things that when these distinctions first form they can be really helpful and they're educative and they open up a world it's when we calcify them into these jaded dualisms that separate us and make us fight that add to who's right and who's wrong um that add to the uh, severed world that we all end up living in, that's when that question you're asking becomes really a hard question is what leadership could there be? What might emerge in the next little while that's not just political or religious or scientific or commercial, but maybe all of them. And people who will lead us into a discourse and a dialogue that will join us back up. And the question is, is we could dualize the world into there's a one of them and then there's us, mm -hmm. or we could say, do you know what? It's down to all of us. How do we all start having a conversation that's a lot more about the and than it is about the or? And how do we have a conversation designed to sow this riven world back up again, back into this undifferentiated whole that it really is so that we can see the truth for what it is. We can see each other for what we are and we start to move back together again into a community that works together. Prayer for the strengthening alliance and the deepening split. God save us from the bad guys. God save us from the good guys. God save us from the madness that carves up the world into us guys and them guys. Michael Leonard.